0: Welcome to Workforce RX with Futura Health, where future-focused leaders in education, workforce development, and healthcare explore new innovations and approaches. I'm your host, Barton Convin, CEO of Futura Health. According to a study by Deloitte, 71% of US employers offer some form of tuition assistance, but it's estimated that less than 5% of employees take advantage of it. There are several reasons for this, including Low awareness of the benefit and a lack of time to take classes. But paying the upfront cost of tuition is also a factor. Well, today on Workforce Rx, we're going to learn about a program at Charter Oak State College that seeks to lower the cost burden on employees by turning the common model of tuition reimbursement on its head. Joining me today is Dr. David Ferreira, the provost of Charter Oak which is Connecticut's public online college, offering master's, bachelor's, associate's degree, and certificate programs in a number of high demand fields, including healthcare, cybersecurity, and early childhood education. In addition to exploring Charter Oaks' new tuition disbursement model, we'll also be learning more about the education programs it offers and its approach to stackable credentials. Thanks for joining us today. Vaughn, great to be with you today. Thank you for having me. It's so great to reconnect. Well, let's set the table by uh, getting an overview of Charter Oak State College in Connecticut and the students that you serve.
1: Yeah, so Charter Oak State College has been around since 1973. So we're actually celebrating our 50th anniversary this year. Uh, And you say, okay, well, we're an online state college, Fifty years were we around before Al Gore invented the internet. Um, you know, we actually started as a, as a credit aggregator, giving credit to people for work experience and life experience. But we have kept that as part of our DNA, and then we've actually evolved into an online college. And so we are here for working professionals, and uh, you know, average age of our students is about thirty six years old. Uh, we are one hundred percent online asynchronous format. We serve a very diverse student population, not only from from age. We had graduates last year ranged from 16 years old to 76 years old, but also diverse in every other manner, uh, socioeconomic status, race, ethnicity, gender. And then also our students are very career-oriented, so we try to build our programs to say, you know, what are the materials that they need to be connected to the career that they're looking to go into?
0: Dave, given the DNA and, and sort of the roots of your institution, what is it that you can do for working adults that perhaps may be more of a struggle for more traditional institutions?
1: Yeah, so we want to actually recognize experience of a student inside and outside the classroom. And uh, as we say, you know, cr- you know, what they call credit for prior learning, prior learning assessment, we kind of say PLA is in our DNA. We want to meet the student where they have been, where they are and where they are going. You know, we actually started 50 years ago as a mechanism for primarily moms who were out of the workforce because they were raising kids, because keep in mind, this was the 1970s, and when they came on back to the workforce, they needed to have their degree, and nobody would recognize any of their life experience or where they had been. So we actually uh, aggregated their credits with a combination of their life experience, what they took before, and then uh, learned experiences from other areas. We actually packaged it together to award their degree. So you know that's been part of where we were uh, and where we still have a lot. About 30% of our students do come to us with significant credit for prior learning. And actually where we're going is actually we're we're starting to evolve the term credit for prior learning, because actually what I think we should say is credit for learning. For example, if you go into an apprenticeship, how can we give you credit for the apprenticeship and work experience that you're receiving right now, not just what you received in the past?
0: So this concept, while it seems so obvious to the listeners, is actually very, very hard for institutions to do because they grew up in, in different ways. So It's wonderful that you have the flexibility and, frankly, the foundation to be able to recognize people's prior learning. Super exciting. So let's turn to what you are calling your Career Invest Tuition Disbursement Program. First, help us understand the rationale for taking this different approach, and then we'll get into the details of how it works.
1: Well, I would say that where this kind of uh, formulated was... Uh, I was actually going to a uh, conference over in New York City, we're over here in Connecticut. So I had a train ride and I was on the Amtrak. And of course I was reading this book called Workforce Rx. And in chapter four, it talked about the need not from a tuition reimbursement, but a tuition disbursement model. And obviously in the book, it went into the reasons why you should do that and how it can really benefit some great case studies that you had from around the country. And a light bulb went off and it said, we need to be doing this over here and we need to make it a a deal that is so good. We have to produce a win, win, win. We have to produce a win for the students. We have to produce a win for the employers and obviously produce a win for the college as well as you mentioned, you know, only 5% of employees take advantage of employer tuition benefits when you do the reimbursement model. Well, why is that? Well, 57% of Americans today have less than $1,000 in their savings account. They cannot commit a $2,000 upfront cost because it's literally not in their bank account. And especially if you're a working professional and you're living paycheck to paycheck. And obviously the cost of groceries, the cost of fuel, you know, it is very expensive. And then also if you have kids going to college, we actually find this from a lot of employees. They're like, my kids are going to college. I'm going to prioritize my own children before I prioritize myself. And half of our students here at Charter Oak are parents as well. And you know, 61% of students who stopped out of post-secondary program want to re-enroll, but 36% say the number one barrier behind that is about cost. They don't have the money up front. So, this is what we tried to do. We said, okay, let's go ahead and do this career invest program is what we're calling it. So, we looked at the rate in which the IRS gives a tax deduction because when we hear about tuition reimbursement, they say it's around $5,000. Why is that? Well, $5250 is actually in the federal tax code for what the employer gets as a reimbursement for tuition and fees for uh, when they uh, offer that to the employee. So, we said, okay. Price point's clear, $5,250, all right? Because we want to actually have something that's going to cost the employer nothing because they'll get that tax credit on the back end. So what Career Invest is, is an initiative where if you do employee disbursement model, we are going to meet you at that fifty two hundred and fifty price tag so that uh, an employee will charge the employer in two payments of twenty six, twenty five. One will uh, cover the fall. The second one will cover spring and summer. Uh, It's going to be an all you can consume model for the employee. So whether they take two classes, three classes, and this is at the associate baccalaureate or master's degree level, this is unheard of for for employers. You're like, what? I could take as many classes as I want. Because when we're talking about with employers, you know, and they're working with industry partners or collegiate partners, there's a 10% discount, 15% discount. We're like, it's way too complicated. Let's simplify this. Let's make it that $5,250 and the employee can go ahead and consume whatever they would like of, of our educational offerings that can uh, be eligible for that employer to get that tax credit. So no money out of pocket for the employee. So that's their win. No cost over at the employer side because they'll they'll actually be the one being reimbursed as opposed to the employee having to reimburse. And then Charter Oak is gonna win. Why? Well, as you show in your workforce RX book. About twenty times more likely that a student is going to go ahead and enroll when there's a tuition disbursement model. So we're going to get more students. You know, it's good business. It's it's good for the student. It's also ethically proper. I believe that anytime you do anything ethically right, it's also good business. So that's why we set it up that way. And uh, and we're really excited to be launching this.
0: And uh, what's your time for rolling this out? And uh, do you have a sense of the level of interest out there?
1: So we are actually starting to roll it out in the coming months. Uh, we're actually currently. Talking talking with employers about this model. And I got to say, sometimes it, it could be a little bit difficult. And here's the reason why it's different. It's very different. It's not what they're used to. And in a way, it's also a culture change for the employer, you know, cause they're like, well, wait, what happens if the employee fails the class? What happens if they uh, stop out? What if, and they think of the what ifs and they think about the reasons not to, and we're like okay let's go on the one where if they fail i said you'll know, think about it as a scholarship students who actually get scholarships to go to college they do quite well why cuz you know they know if they fall below a certain gpa they're going to lose their scholarship and so we're trying to get employers to say, think about it as like a scholarship you're offering. And you're getting the money anyways on the employee reimbursement side. But it is a very different dynamic and a different, very different culture. So part of the venture that we've been doing here at Charter Oak is we start to talk to employers. You know, for some, it's like it's too weird of a concept and it's not for them. Uh, and But we are speaking to some where they're, they're like, okay, this makes a lot of sense. We have to change the way we do things a little bit. But, but I get it. And so they're going to hopefully start to, uh, to sign on very soon. But one of the unanticipated consequences is that it's taken a little bit of time just because you have to start to deal with the culture side of the way that employers have always done it for 30, 40 years, uh, and, and to change that mindset. So we're also looking at, um, Targeting employers who maybe have that innovative mindset and are, and are open and saying, yeah, this is the way we need to go, because uh, they also understand when we go to them and say, well, how much are you are you paying in order to recruit an employee? Well, they're like um, it cost me about four or five thousand dollars to recruit an employee. It's like, well, <laughs> then why are you worried about a reimbursement model? At worst, is that risk of you as a $2,625 because if they fail at that semester, you just don't offer it to them on the following semester if they're failing out. Think about it as a scholarship. So it's making that connection and trying to put it in a way in which uh, they already start to think about it.
0: Well, it's such a great innovation and a tool that can help an employer become much more competitive in the in the fight for talent. So many employers are now beginning to think about using the tuition supports as a recruiting tool, right? Uh, From Amazon to Starbucks. I mean, when you're competing for talent, there's got to be a way to stand out. And this seems like a a very affordable way for the employers to to do so.
1: And and the other thing we talk about with the employers, too, is we look at it from a diversity, equity and inclusion perspective. Who is this going to benefit? This is going to disproportionately benefit the employees who cannot afford the two thousand or three thousand dollars upfront to go ahead and get started and so the way I, I you know kind of say is okay let's say you're a hospital all right you have your food service workers you have your janitorial staff you know who probably do not have the the two thousand dollars up front to do this these tend to be much more diverse populations uh and I said if you identify a food service worker who has a good work ethic you know, why not approach them? You're going to lose them anyways, right? They're not going to be in food service for 20 years. I'm sorry, that's not going to happen, right? You identify those employees who have that good work ethic and say, guess what? I believe in you. I see in you and we are going to invest in you. And actually studies have shown that when you do that and you do that early in an employee's career, they're much more likely to stick around because we're hearing from employers that they can't retain employees. Well, I said, well, let's go back to the way that you onboard your employees. Right. The traditional way to onboard an employee is to say, Hi, Von. Welcome to Blank Blank Corporation. Just want to let you know the the coffee is down the hall on the right hand side. And by the way, you're on probation, so we can get rid of you at any period of time in the next three months. You're like, whoa! Is this the this is my first impression of of the employer? And in fact, actually, they say that over half of the employees make the decision whether they're going to stick with you or not within their first month on the job. Now, they may not leave for 12 months or 18 months, but they made that decision in the first month. So, with Career Invest, you can say. We're really excited, Von, to have you here at Blank Blank Corporation. In fact, we were so impressed with you. Where do you want to go with us? Where can we help you build within our company? And guess what? We have this great program called Career Invest because we're actually going to put the money down to get you started so that you can stay here and actually build your way up while you're here. You're much more likely to retain the employee when you go ahead and show that you care about them and you're willing to invest in them from day one.
0: So the pricing model is very innovative, but uh, let me also point out another area of innovation, which is unusual for a public institution, and it's the all-you-can-eat consumption of courses. Right? I mean, that is not easy to pull off. Dave, tell us more.
1: Yeah, well, I got to give a credit to our very innovative uh, chief financial officer, Mike Moriarty, because when we came to him, you know, we said, "Okay, how do we price this? Do we do we limit it to five courses at the?" undergraduate level and four courses at the graduate level. And what we actually looked at was, and the beauty part is, well, what's the easiest way from a human resource to actually implement on our side, a business side? And so we looked at it and he said, the easiest way to do this is just have them consume it. You know, we'll just put the price down, we'll zero their balance out and they sign up for what they want. Now we do tell employers, or we say we recommend to the employee, you know, Take five courses per year. Take two in the fall, two in the spring, one in the summer. But obviously for some employees, they can do more than that. And if so, let's go ahead and have them do that. But we also recognize you're working full time. You know, it may be difficult to go full time, but for some, they could. And why, why restrict them on that? But from a business perspective on our side, it's actually the least human resource intensive to actually implement. So we actually found that that to
0: be a win for us as well. Oh, how fascinating. Now, now you have a bachelor in social work, which is a level of education that's super important in the mental health and behavioral health field to produce the needed workers. So what would be an experience of somebody who's going through that program, for example? Do they typically take three courses, five courses? Do they stop out at certain times? I mean, like, have you begun to see patterns in terms of their consumption of unlimited courses
1: you know, social work was a program we we just implemented in fall of 2022. We just have our our second cohort getting started. We already have 85 uh, students in the program. It's doing really well. Uh, you know, for students, it depends on where they are in their life. All of our classes are in eight week formats, so that's one way in which we help accelerate. All right. The one exception is when they are doing their practicum, we put that over 15 weeks because for a working adult, it makes it easier over 15 weeks to only have to dedicate seven or eight hours a week towards that practicum, where if we made it under eight weeks in a practicum, they'd be doing 15, 16 hours, may not be suitable to the working professional population. So for some students, what they might do is take one in the first half of the fall, one in the second half of the fall, uh, and then maybe mix in a practicum as well. And so they're taking three courses in a semester. Uh, Or if they're, you know, again, if Let's say they are really looking to accelerate they may not have a lot of life commitments outside of uh of class they may take you know two in the first half two in the second half in that practicum and take a full five course load that's the beauty of it which is wherever you are in life that's that's what you can do what we are noticing is that more of them are starting to take advantage of more classes i would say five years ago only about you know, twenty percent of our students were going full time. Uh now we're actually close to thirty percent, and we'll probably be about one third of our students going full time within the next couple of years. So we are noticing that in a lot of ways for especially for our students who are uh you know Gen Z population or or near that, so we're thirty and under, time is money. Time is literally money. So acceleration almost means
0: more than the price. Let's talk a little bit about stackable. Well, let's talk a lot about stackable credentials. Um <laughs> You know, adults, according to the Strata Education Consumer Insights Center, they're not in the mood to pursue degrees, but they're very interested in upskilling by taking short-term credentials. But yet there's a tension, right, for most higher education leaders, uh, whether the certificate, the short-term credential should be more common and how do they Juxtaposed with the degree offerings, which is part of the norm of, of traditional higher education. So, talk to us about your approach, Charter Oaks' approach to this.
1: Yeah, I mean, in higher education, we've always been so reliant on the baccalaureate degree. Now, I will say this, you know, the bachelor's degree, the data has shown Lumina just came out with a study with Gallup that, yeah, the bachelor's degree is still the tried and true method towards a family sustainable degree that also provides career flexibility, which is particularly of importance with the Gen Z population and millennial population. But with that being said, uh, we have had an over-reliance on the baccalaureate degree for a number of careers. You know, we, we've over relied on it. And we totally, uh, again, Charter Oak understands that. I may be uh, maybe yelled at by some of my colleagues, but that is true. But I still, again, I still do believe that the ultimate goal of, of a bachelor's degree is, is a good one and one that people should pursue for many, many careers. Uh, not all of them, but, but a number of careers. So what we said is, look, uh, especially with our, again, our career-focused student population, Students want to have the ability to go into their area of study quickly. And I mean within six months to a year. Our approach to stackable credentials is this. How do we actually stack them within our baccalaureate degree? I'll give an example. We're building a software development uh, baccalaureate degree that's going to go live in fall of 2024. The first four courses within that major is the Google IT User Support Professional Certificate, which prepares a student for the CompTIA A certification and allows them to be an entry level help desk worker in IT. So that means within the first, you know, uh, depends on how quickly you go within the first one to two semesters. A student can actually go ahead, go through that experience and actually get an industry recognized credential and then stick around into the bachelor's degree and still continue to get upskilled, but they at least get to be an IT help desk worker while they're studying for their bachelor's degree. And then, by the way, hopefully that employer is involved in career invest and they don't have to spend any money on that bachelor's degree. And and so it it gets them into their area of study quickly so that they're identifying in that career field. Um, I'll give an example of traditional education. I'm a product of traditional higher education. I was a political science major. I did nothing political science until after four years of education. I was a bouncer and a bartender right? Now, while being a bouncer to bartender helps me as a provost, right? It did not help me as a political scientist. So we really want to make sure that uh, in as many of our programs of study as possible, that we build a pathway towards a quick credential. So we build an on-ramp and an off-ramp. Now, if a student goes ahead and a help desk worker and they're good for right now, but then they'll come back a year or later, or they continue on straight through like we hope they do, that's wonderful. But also if if life gets in the way and they stop out there now, at least have an industry recognized credential where they can at least have a better job than if they worked, you know, again, as maybe like a bouncer or a bartender, right? which is still a noble field. But, uh, you know, so that's the area that we're kind of approaching it with. For example, in our cybersecurity program, we just actually recently got a, a grant from Tech Talent Accelerator where we're going to have, an, uh, again, the first four courses are now going to be aligned to the CompTIA Security Plus Certification, which is your industry-recognized credential to get entry-level into, into cybersecurity. We're going to be building uh, in our marketing degree program, we're, you know, how do we build uh, meta social media marketing uh, micro-credential, uh, digital marketing e-commerce certificate micro-credential, So a student can either take that a la carte or they can build it within their bachelor's degree. And and knowing that as you uh, continue to earn these credentials, you're going to continue to progress in your wages so that you can earn while you learn, but also create a pathway to 100K, you know. And so that's the really big difference is how can we visually show them that it's the start of your journey. But if you stop out, it's okay. You're going to continue to get better along the way.
0: So if you can remind the listeners, Dave. Those students, clients, participants who have taken the Google IT and earned the CompTIA certificate, what's out of pocket for the student to get to the bachelor in cyber? So
1: in essence, if they're part of what Career Invest
0: again, there'll be nothing out of pocket for them if their employer
1: joins on. So what we're also hoping too is that as we get these students here and they're like, hey, I work over at you know blank uh, corporation, we can gather that data and actually approach the company and say, do you know that we have thirty of your employees over here, but if they're not part of that, we also understand that we have a national price point for online education, right? That Southern New Hampshire, Western Governors, National University, uh, University of Maryland Global Campus, we all have to be around that same price point. So, uh, for the credits, we're $329 per credit, which is $1 less than Southern New Hampshire University. That's our president who's uh, big on that one. And then our our fees that we do have that are similar to the other national online universities. Uh, And then also, one of the things we doing, because again, price is really at the critical juncture as well, is about the cost of textbooks and materials. And so one of the things we're actually going to be doing and implementing in fall of 24 is what we're calling inclusive access. So that means we're actually working right now and finalizing the deal with the vendor where we're going to include the cost of textbooks and software within our tuition and fees. So therefore, that could be if you're under financial aid, that will be covered by financial aid as well. So again, looking at every possible way in which we can have the least amount out of pocket for the employee, because really the amount of student loans out there in the country is about $1.7 trillion. It exceeds credit card debt. Uh, The average student loan payment is over $400 for 20 years for a person who has a bachelor's degree. A person has a mini mortgage before they can ever buy their first home. So what we're trying to say is how can we separate it where a student has little or no debt whatsoever, because if if they have little or no debt whatsoever, that's $400 more in their pocket so that they can have a nicer car, a better house, and they can afford to put food on the table and
0: provide for their families and maybe even take a vacation. Well, the systems approach in which you're thinking about the learner and then, you know, their experience and the cost that they encourage, it's very impressive. So thank you so much for your leadership on that. And I hope many of our listeners are heeding the good advice that you're you're imparting right now. We previously talked about the, the mental and behavioral health crisis. And frankly, there's a huge demand for therapists who are trained at the master's level. And then, of course, their bachelor level occupation and then their certificates. So the combination is really a perfect um, situation to create stackable credentials so that we can better fill out this this workforce. So I want to give you an opportunity to tell us more about what you're doing.
1: Mental health is obviously, I would argue, at crisis level. And we're seeing it where there's the huge need for folks in you know the social work and human services area at all levels in our criminal justice system. We need it over in our nursing homes. We need it uh, with the adult and, and also uh, adolescent population. So at Charter Oak, one of the things that we do is we have very open amount for elective categories. One thing with social work is that we just achieved pre-candidacy from the Council on Social Work Education, CSWE, which is the industry you know accreditor for social work. So they're very strict on what can go inside the major. Uh, and 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 so we try to say, well, how can we work around that? And so we're actually built our, our bachelors of social work where there's enough room in the electives where if a person actually achieves a human services or an, or an addictions uh, certificate where let's say they could be a caseworker while they're building into their baccalaureate degree, we're able to fit that within our bachelor's degree. So, yes, yeah, so our idea is to, is to identify those that maybe are looking for an entry level human services provider type of credential uh, and then have that build where you can still go into your bachelor's of social work and lose no excess credits
0: does that allow you to offer your program across state borders or is specific to the state of connecticut
1: it's across the country so we are able to do that we we do licensure information by state so for example Again, we're in pre-candidacy status because we just started our program in social work. There are a few states that in order to work in certain areas with the bachelor's degree, you need to have a full CSWE accreditation. So with the exception of those, those states for right now, that many states uh, you're able to go ahead with our bachelor's of social work uh, program and actually work over in their state, for example, at Department of Children and Families or, or a lot of areas there. So we want to make sure that we're doing this ethically so that uh, within your state and again, well over 40 states, uh, you know, no issues whatsoever and being able to get employment with your bachelor's of social work.
0: And Dave, some people may be wondering, but I hope that they're wondering less since we had such a great adoption of online learning during the pandemic. How do do you build in quality while honoring the need to be flexible and virtual for working adults?
1: That's a great question. Uh, We just got done doing our updated strategic plan uh, that actually started to implement this fall, and academic quality was pillar number one. And so I think what you really have to think about is whether you're Charter Oak or or let's say you're a regional public university who's trying to say, hey, look, I know that there's opportunities in the online space, so I got to go ahead and I got to grow there, right? Whatever you do is that it has to be quality by design is the way that we approach it. So the way that we actually develop courses here at Charter Oak is actually a very intensive process. It takes like four or five months to produce a course properly. So what we do is... We actually hire our subject matter experts. So these are folks that are in the industry, have all the great credentials, um, very knowledgeable in, in the area of what's needed of our graduates. They actually build the content of our courses. All right. So that's what they're good at. And then we actually have our trained instructional designers. These are folks that are their number one thing is about online pedagogy or andragogy, uh, universal design of learning, inclusive design principles, making sure everything is ADA compliant. So that is an inclusive of everybody that is their job. They make sure that everything is aligned from a design standpoint. So we have the subject matter who's the expert in content. We have a designer who's an expert in how to you know, build it. And then also we bring in a second subject matter expert to also give another review of the content so that we have multiple perspectives, diverse perspectives uh, from the content, then after all of those things are done, then you can actually run that course. Then you can actually build it. So it takes a lot of investment to do that. And I think it's it's worthy that we go ahead and, and do it. And so I would say anybody who is actually studying or who is interested in going to an online college, whether it be Charter Oak or anywhere else, ask about what is your quality assurance process? What do you actually do to ensure that you have the best quality uh, material? We're also not a, not ashamed where we say, hey, look, where are the experts over in industry? Whether it's folks from Google or IBM or, or Meta or anywhere else, if, if they're willing to partner with us and, and, and help us with some of that content, uh, uh, we are very willing to, to go ahead and do this. There's no ego involved because at the end of the day, do we teach what we need to teach so that from a technical and human skill perspective, the student is ready to go ahead and enter the workforce because as I said, our students, they're our business card. And so we got to make sure that we produce the best quality possible because if we don't do that, we lose the faith of the employers.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well. Your institution is doing so much great work on the frontier of learning. Why don't we close out by asking you what you're most excited about in the future of learning?
1: I think we're most excited about in the future of learning is I'm seeing more than ever. Employers are wanting to partner with higher education organizations And if the higher education organization is humble enough to say, we want to work with you, uh, there's more employers than ever, because obviously I know they're they're desperate for workforce, right? And I'm really excited about that. I'm also really excited about the future of higher education and where we see it going, because traditionally in higher education, we say we have workforce programs and we have liberal arts programs. I think in my prediction is that those lines are quickly going to go away. I think that in the future in higher education said, these are gonna be like, let's say the two parents and these two parents are gonna go ahead and have a baby. And that baby is gonna have the DNA of both of those parents, right? Because what I'm hearing, for example, on cybersecurity is that they want students to study more psychology because a lot of cybersecurity hacks are social engineering. So they want students to understand uh, psychology and human behavior in order to help prevent social engineering hacks, right? And then on the likewise on the liberal arts programs, again, I'm a political scientist and actually I was talking to, to our lead political science professor the other day and I said, you know, as a political scientist, now I would actually get a technical credential within my major in data analytics. Why? Because as a political scientist, I'm doing voter registration, I'm doing data mining the voter rolls and things of that nature. If I had a good understanding of data analytics, that would make me a better political scientist. And so this is where i see in the future is that that the technical and the liberal arts are going to come together they're going to be interwoven because they're going to produce not only those great technical skills but those great human skills that are going to be aligned to produce the best possible worker and then by the way they're going to have the ai literacy skills so that they can effectively work in the in the generative ai world and that's actually another thing that we're quickly working on as well to make sure that every student we actually just added digital literacy as one of our gen eds that includes our, our AI uh, literacy skills to make sure that they go ahead and they have that. And also our students are innovative thinkers, so we have an innovative think in general education requirement. And then we also have a diversity, equity, inclusion um, in our gen ed requirement, because guess what employers are saying? My employee base is the most diverse it's ever been from so many different cultures. I need employees that understand diversity, not only from a cultural race, ethnicity, but diversity of thought as well. And so that can actually communicate with those who don't think like them or act like them. And, you know, diversity covers so many things, including diversity of thought. And we want to make sure that all of our graduates has those skills because that's what our employers need. And also that's what society needs.
0: Well, I'm sure my audience is not surprised that when I first met you and I heard about the work that you've been doing at Charter Oak State college. It's so easy to be impressed. And I look forward to having Futura Health work with you and with Charter Oak in the future. And really humbled that my book had some role in inspiring some of the innovations that uh, you're pursuing today, Dave.
1: Well, actually a huge, huge role. Actually, my entire strategic plan and team actually has a copy of your book as we, we use that as, as one of our baselines. So thank you for the work that you're doing because you are making a huge difference.
0: Well, likewise, likewise. Thank you very much, David, for being with us today. I'm Vantone Quinlevin with Futura Health. Thanks for checking out this episode of Workforce RX. I hope you will join us again as we continue to explore how to create a future-focused workforce in America.